0: If I would ask people to conjure up an image of Jesus, more than likely we would get those common descriptions, you know, like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, lover of children, carrier of cuddly lambs on the shoulders, shepherd of the flock, traversing the green hillside under a blue sky. Oh, some may give us more focused on uh, Jesus the macho man as he uh, turns over the tables in the temple and rails at the Pharisees. Others may also give us a bloody Jesus hanging on the cross. But I doubt if anyone would conjure up an image of Jesus as a hulking giant who could stomp through a town like a divine Godzilla. That is, if you don't live in the Polish town of Sweet Bodson, Because there in that town stands a 170-foot Jesus looming over the town with people hoping that he doesn't fall on them and crush them as they go to the local Tesco supermarket. It took over 10 years to build this statue of Jesus and some say it cost about $3 million to build it. It's one of the most audacious religious icons built in Europe. He stands taller than the famous uh, Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. Although the Brazilians would dispute that fact because they say the Polish Jesus is cheating by standing on a mound. But I'll let the my Jesus is bigger than your Jesus for their argument. The... Father um, Sylvester Zwadzki was the one who was the architect of this project. And when asked what inspired him or how he got the idea, he just pointed to the supersized Savior and said, It was Jesus' idea. I was simply the builder. Now, not all the people of Sweet Bolson are is sanguine about uh, this Jesus that uh, looms over the town like a mutant messiah. Um, some of them, speaking on anonymity because of the power of the local Catholic church there, um, thought it was an embarrassment at best or a waste of money at the worst there. He was hoping that that would bring some tourism to town, but most people just drive up in their car, jump out, take a picture of others as they uh, as they try to, uh, again, uh, what, uh, they try to you know take a picture of Jesus with his arms outstretched, you know uh, reflecting his statue there, Then they jump in their car and they leave town without spending any money on the local economy, which then makes me wonder, is it better to have a soteriological sphinx that dominates the landscape for everyone to see, or is it better to have a Jesus who is innocuous, and gentle, and sweet, and nice. Well, our Old Testament and New Testament lessons for today tell us that neither image is really a correct image, and yet both images tell us about the purpose of Jesus, the one shepherd who does, care for his people with gentle love, and protects his people with stand-alone power. Ezekiel depicts Yahweh as a shepherd who maintains justice while protecting his sheep. This powerful Jesus is the the description of the image that... um, that he wants us to hold on to and contrast that image with the one given to by Matthew in the gospel lesson, which gives us a more gentle Jesus who protects his sheep from the goats. But in either case, the shepherd makes those hard choices of separation and judgment so that the sheep may be safe, secure, and thrive. Now, the image of God as a shepherd permeates the Old Testament, most famously, obviously, in Psalm 23, which gives us a picture of the the Lord who makes us lie down in green pastures, who leads us beside still waters, who restores our souls. That image is picked up in Isaiah as well, chapter 40, verse 11 in which it says that the shepherd will feed his flock, that he will gather his lambs into his arms and carry them in his bosom. So gentle care is one of those soft focus images that we get of Jesus in Scripture. But we have to balance that out with the image that Ezekiel gives us of a shepherd who is a warrior a fighter, one who maintains justice in the flock and yet keeps the flock safe and secure. Talking about the sheep of Judah who had been captured by or had been scattered by the Babylonians, it says that God will search for his sheep and will seek them out. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick Darkness, And that God did when uh, after the Babylonian tap- captivity, he brought a remnant back to the promised land. That promise God still fulfills today through his church, the one holy Christian and apostolic church, the new promised land. And this he will also one day fulfill in the future at the end of time when he establishes the new heavens and the new earth, the restored promised land. Only the one shepherd can do that. Only the divine shepherd can bring unity in this ultra-divided world. But you may think, well, why do we need this divine shepherd? Well, to answer that question, you really have to look at the context, those first 10 verses before our Old Testament lesson. And in the first 10 verses of Ezekiel 34, he talks about the bad shepherds, the ones who don't do God's will. And Ezekiel says the bad shepherds are like the kings of Judah in Israel, that these kings have fail to do even the basic tasks of caring for the flock of God. The indictment is pretty clear. It said that the bad shepherds slaughter and exploit the sheep and have grown fat and lazy. They fail to strengthen the weak ones, heal the sick and injured in search for the lost. Because they harass the sheep, the sheep are scattered all over the face of the earth. I mean, even Jesus didn't have much good to say about bad shepherds either, did he? Because he said that when, uh, that the bad shepherds, that they have no personal investment in the flock at all, so that when the wolf comes, uh, they abandon the sheep and run away like cowards. Why? Because they have no care for the sheep. So that's why Ezekiel presents us a shepherd with a sword in his hand rather than a meek and mild herdsman. We need that image as Christians, as we live in this world of ours, in the injustice and fraud, in the persecution and malevolence of this world. I mean, there are spiritual leaders today who have sold out to culture, just like in the days of Ezekiel. And God says that he is against those bad shepherds. That he will demand from them his flock back to them. From those that devour them. In other words, God is torqued at bad shepherds. Because they feed themselves and not the flock under their care. So then... God then says that these, that's where we then come to the Old Testament lesson at verse 11, where it starts today. And there, God then shifts from the bad shepherds to his flock, his people, his church. What's bad for the unbeliever is good for the believer. What's bad for the unrepentant, the idolater, the lover of culture, is good for those who are in the flock of the good shepherd. God will judge the bad shepherds who have taken the unfair share of the resources. And he will judge the sheep, as Ezekiel says, as well. Those sheep who have, uh, powerful sheep, who have exploited the less powerful, the fat sheep, as he calls them in his lesson here, who have bullied the weak ones, who have taken their resources and soiled what is left over. And God will judge each sheep, the fat and the weak, according to his divine will. How is he going to do that? Well, Ezekiel says he will do that by sending the one shepherd, a descendant of the house of David, who will judge between the sheep and feed those who need it. This one divine shepherd is a descendant, is a a representative of God Himself, and He is the ultimate shepherd king. This descendant of David, who slew the giant Goliath, will be a giant himself. Not in terms of stature, a physical stature, or in terms of a giant statue, but he will be tall in the order of justice. This divine shepherd will watch over his flock and keep them safe and secure. And that's signaled in the Old Testament lesson by the word that Ezekiel uses for prince. The typical Hebrew word for prince is nagid. But here, Ezekiel uses the word nasi. Meaning that this prince is not going to be your typical political leader. This prince is righteous. This prince Will be Savior and Servant. This prince will be Redeemer, Protector, Provider. This prince will be the Son of the One True Melech, God Himself. This Shepherd Prince will be Jesus. And that's what Jesus does in the New Testament here. Jesus takes on that ministry of the shepherd and cares for the weak and the outcast while challenging the fat and content shepherds and sheep. This God, can, this, in the whole view of the, the end of time given to us in the Gospel of Matthew there, We see the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy where this divine shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, separates the sheep from the goats so that the sheep may be taken to God's eternal kingdom. Jesus, the divine shepherd, is the one who comes. He is the ultimate shepherd King, and he dominates the landscape with his care and concern over the flock. You can almost imagine that having a hundred and seventy foot Jesus uh, looming over the town there, uh, that people might feel that God's eyes are always on them because you know uh, uh, at one hundred and seventy feet, uh, you can't uh, be away or out of that side of that person uh, very much, but. That uh, building of the a stupendous uh, stature of Jesus is a, really an exercise in missing the point because Jesus isn't supposed to be a tourist attraction. No, our Jesus is a divine shepherd who is with the flock. He doesn't loom over them like some supersized sentinel. Our shepherd is with us. He is among us, listening, caring, challenging, cajoling, just like a good shepherd. So on this Christ the King Sunday, we keep those two images in mind because both of them are important for us. The image of the gentle shepherd who loves us and who will carry us even on his shoulders. And also the warrior shepherd who is jealous over his people and will protect us even using weapons if necessary. Sure, a 170-foot Jesus would, could be imitate, uh, in, uh, intimidating, but... It's nothing compared to the real Jesus who abides with us, who loves us, who cares for us, who protects us, keeps us in his flock until that day that he brings us to our eternal home.